Welcome back to the Masters and Founders podcast. Our guest this week is someone who took a skill that they had mastered in filmmaking to do more good in the world. Christy Pipkin is the executive director of the Nobility Project. As the director, she creates motivating documentaries and short films, as well as overseeing educational outreach in the U.S. and abroad. She believes that by improving conditions in one community, you improve the state of the global community. She has had a fascinating path to get to her current place. So let's jump in and hear how she hopes to change the world one step at a time. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on our podcast, Masters and Founders, brought to you by Founding Austin. Uh, very thankful to be doing this. I want to give a little shout out to our sponsors right here on live video. Thank you, Waterloo, Sparkling Water, Still Austin Whiskey, Tiny House Coffee, Kind Bar, and of course, the Russell Collection, Fine Art Gallery. Thank you for having us here. Um, today, we have Christy Pipkin. This morning, we interviewed uh, Turk, and we had a great morning. What a fascinating story. It really was a fascinating story. C congratulations on that win. That was a, that was a good, <laughs> good call on your part. Um, we want to talk about the, the Nobility Project and what all that entails, and I really like to jump right in and not hold anything back. So go ahead and tell us about the story, how it all started, what you guys are trying to accomplish, and uh, where you think it's going to go in the future. Thanks. Thanks. I'm delighted to be here. I'm delighted to be anywhere these days. Um, the sky is blue. The spring has sprung in Austin, Texas, and uh, gratitude goes a long way. Um, no, the Nobility Project was founded as um, a filmmaking entity. I Turk may have talked about this. We started our, our effort with a conversation with nine Nobel laureates, and that's where the name comes from. But in that effort, we found an opportunity to um, make a difference on the ground level. We were talking to them about um, challenging issues that face the world, so we decided to take on a couple. When uh, we went to Kenya with Wangari, Matai, we met and uh, sort of fell in love with a certain community there, and we agreed to a very small project, simple electricity and clean water. That has now blossomed into about 35 school locations with about 15,000 students impacted every year. Wow. So small ideas grow into big, to big impact. That's awesome. So I love to just take you back to, um, before this, had you started any other nonprofits mm. or is this, is no. this, was this your first? <laughs> no, and if we knew then what we know now, I say, I hear from people often, I'm gonna start a nonprofit. I'm like, <laughs> bang my head on the table. Um, nonprofit work is challenging always financially, that's a given, but there's also um, a tendency to, to think, and in some cases it's true that your idea is absolutely unique when there's often a network of support and people doing similar work that you could work with or for or combine. Or, um, and so what we have found um, is those new partners make our work more effective. When we started, again, we were filmmakers, and so we had a unique story to tell. We continue to tell film-based stories. We still do. And um, those come from a filter of our, of our perspective. They're very personal. But we try to address very universal topics. 
Um, so that said, now that we're in the sort of this universe of nonprofit work, uh, particularly educational nonprofit work like we do, um, we are trying to find, now we're trying to find the unique stories of the people we impact. So we can tell those stories on film and in our outreach. Um, we really fell off the truck in this little town called Mahiga in Kenya. And it was undeniable the, the desire and the will of, of those parents and those community members to provide an education for their children. And I often say, Kenya's a country of great will, but very limited way. And so the US has an abundance of way. And so um, we connected those two and people who are so generous here and communities that are so ready to use what uh, support they can, they can gather, not just from international contributors, but from local providers too, to make things happen. So that's prior to that Prior to that, I mean, it was a film project. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you have a background on film or is yes. that, okay, can you Yes, talk I'm to Turk as a writer. I was a long time producer, mostly commercials and television, uh, short film work. Um, we lived in LA for years, and then I got an opportunity to go to work for Willie Nelson, and we came home. And uh, I'm a native Austinite, so the idea of getting to come back to Austin from LA was it was uh, too too good an offer, and to get to go to work for Willie, which right. was always fun. How is that, by the way? <laughs> Sidebar. <laughs> it's a little Bronco ride sometimes. Um, I came. I worked for Willie and. 89 through, I still do some work for work, but mostly through about 93. And uh, those were some high and low years yeah. around the Nelsons and um, mostly high. <laughs> 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 um, but uh, we started a television network. We did all kinds of music videos. We did some Disney specials. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, um, some of that work still exists. I'll come across on YouTube, the, mm -hmm. the you know, the archive of all bad filmmaking. Um, I'll come across a piece that right. just will will take me off guard and occasionally see my name pop up and go, oh. The one that really was, um, was a funny story. I did the reshoots on Texas Chainsaw Massacre with Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey. Okay. And... Um, it was not a fine film. It was, it was a great effort, as I say, on a lot of people's parts. Made it to HBO after many, many people tried to stop it from making it to HBO, including Matthew's agent, I think. And um, my name comes up in the credits, and the phone rings like that. And I'm like, oh, yay, yay. You know, and it was one of our children's friends. And this girl was maybe six years old. Hi, are you Lily's mom? Yeah. We just saw your name on TV. I was like, where are your parents letting you watch? <laughs> she anyway, she did not actually watch. She just Sounds was repeating crazy. her mother. But anyway, the uh, the Willie years were fun. And uh, we are still, you know, friends and relations. But I'm, I'm not really actively engaged in, in filmmaking outside the Nobility Project anymore. Yeah. With, the, with the project itself, has charity work always been something that you were interested in or or and I mean as a little girl or was it a seed that had to grow and and what was the exact moment that turned this into a real idea that could be 
that could be executed. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a, a long arc. Mm -hmm. I am a native Austinite, but I grew up in Washington, D.C. in the 60s. Um, par uh, my parents were um, labor organizers and kind of therefore civil rights workers. And it was D.C. in the 60s. And so um, I came out of that stew of social justice work and spent a few years not doing that particularly while well. we lived in LA and I produced commercials um, and, and award shows. Somehow I ended up always getting booked on the parades and the award shows. But coming back here and having this opportunity to, to choose what the work would be, um, one of my personal journeys was I quit. Um, I had cancer, I had breast cancer and quit. And that was it. I was going to teach yoga and walk the dog and raise my kids and live to be a, a nice old lazy age. And then um, I, you know, kind of got over that. And uh, Turk had this, uh, this idea about conversations with Nobel laureates. It was going to be a book. And then as I sort of emerged from that particular shell, we decided it was a better film. So it came from both sides, I think. It came from um, Turk's idea, but also my part being, um, what do they call it, right livelihood. Is that the right term, I think? I think so. You know, that, that what I wanted to do with my life had to matter more to me. My last commercial job, I was, um, it was a spaghetti commercial with a mime in it. And we couldn't get the meatballs to look right. And the food stylist was shellacking meatballs. And I just stood there and, what am I doing with my life? Mm -hmm. Actually, left that set. That's the only set I've ever walked off of, and that was it. But um, That epitome moment, that moment. That's that like, moment no. was like, okay, no. Yeah. And it wasn't the mime. He was a nice guy. Right. So with all the work, <laughs> wasn't the meatball sauce. It was. It was just like the whole thing. With all the work that you're doing now, are you are you catching that sense of fulfillment that you that you initially thought you would? Um, how could you not? Well, in in many ways, yes, of yeah. course. I mean, it is it is. It, it, I have a lot of gratitude for our donors and for the community partners in in Kenya and here in the U.S. We work with a lot of students here in Austin, um, and. I, I really appreciate that interface we get to have. One of the things that's also true is that these are very, very big problems. Um, people sometimes say intractable problems. I would like to think they're not intractable. I mean, someone asked me not long ago, what's my idea of success? And I said, I'd like to work myself out of a job. And I think every nonprofit feels that way, that direct service nonprofit feels like if we're doing our job right, our, we won't be needed in time. In Kenya in particular, we see that happening because it's rapid change there right now. It's going. It's a rising nation economically and um, politically. It's stabilizing. It is sort of the rock of East Africa. Uh, you kind of look at its neighbors. You know, but from uh, Ethiopia, South Sudan, and Somalia, and, um, Kenya really sort of gives this diplomatic weight and stability. To that whole region. So when we see these kids come up from, we've been working there over 10 years now, so we've seen kids come up through school and are now going to college. We have college graduates now sort of trickling out. 
Um, that's very gratifying. It's like we've got 5,000 children to see through school. When I think of it that way, I'm like, oh, yay. Um, Big impact. Let's hope so. Yeah. Certainly personal impact for those students. Yeah, it's got to be huge for them. Yeah. It's a lifesaver. It's a life changer for sure. Yeah. So as you know, a lot of our audience, uh, the idea is building a, a program. As Ryan and I started putting Masters and Founders together, we wanted to share with the audience that maybe has an idea, maybe even starting a nonprofit or maybe starting a business or, or whatever it is, maybe their own music path or art path. But we wanted to provide a path that others have already paved and show the good, bad, and the ugly. Mm -hmm. So were there any fears or anything like that as, as you first started down this path? It, it, to me, uh, just as I talk to different individuals, sometimes these, those things seem overwhelming, but it's just kind of in my own head. And I want to see how you address that. I had um, a yoga teacher once who talked about buying a house that it were, the backyard was full of thorns. And she would open the back door and go, oh my God, and close it every day. And then she decided, I'm gonna clear one foot square. And eventually the yard was clear, right? That's like some classic ashram story. But um, we didn't look at the finish line because there really is no finish line. And we did not set ourselves up to work at the large scale, we simply took the next step. And the next step's always there. It can be a little step, it could be a big step, it could, you could step right off the cliff, you know, but you can always take the next step. And while I'm on ashram stories, um, I think there's a, maybe a Gandhi quote that we all uh, walk in the footsteps of those who come before us, but we're laying the path for those to follow. Mm -hmm. So even if the step that you take isn't the ultimate step. You've taken it for someone else as well. Right. Um, I think Americans tend to look at the finish line. Mm -hmm. I think we look for the magic bullet a lot. Right. That if we think if we're not going to win that race, we're not going to run that race. Right. And to me, that's a real disservice, not only to others around you, but to yourself. You know, those little ideas, um, those unique ideas also connect with, the, we need them to connect with each other. I think people who sometimes want to either start a, a, a new company, they look for something that stands alone, which you can only stand alone so long. And if you build something, you know, that has no other means of support, either financially or emotionally or intellectually, eventually you'll either be isolated and it will not grow anymore right. or it'll fall over. Um, you know, I continue to say this, it's brick by brick mm -hmm. and, and one day you have a wall. Yeah. Every day you have a brick, but one day you have a wall and that's, it's about the process. We've said this through all these interviews yeah. and it's the same way with you. And so Turk's father used to say, you can't build a wall by starting at the top. That's yeah, <laughs> the truth. It's, it really is the truth. I love that. And that goes, that goes with anybody that we've interviewed. It's anybody that's built anything worth mentioning is it's all about the process and it's all about laying one brick perfectly, right? And not trying to rush to have a giant wall. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people get uh, paralysis by analysis. They're just thinking, thinking, think yeah. over and over and they just don't move. Yeah. And so I like the uh, idea of what you said, just clearing that one foot of thorns at a time. And then before you know it, it's, it's, it's there. Yeah. So let's dive back into the where you're at now with mm -hmm. mobility because we started we started you started with a water project and then that turned into 
Yeah, the first agreement we had um, at, the, at the little tiny primary school where Turk had, had planted trees, yeah, and maybe he didn't tell that story today, um, we were making the film, the Mongari's organization is called the Green Belt Movement, and they plant trees in school properties and, and lots of places. We planted trees at a school and they were dying. The headmaster said, you know, it's because the water's so far. And Turks, you know, being the newbie American was like, well, where's the school's water? And the headmaster's like, it's a mile and a half, just like every other. So we just agreed to bring water to the school. Um, they took that a step further and got the county to bring the power to the school, which means then we could bring computers to the school. And so, bit by bit, brick by brick, lit literally in this case, stone by stone. Um, we built that school uh, to the point where they were graduating eighth graders, but there was no high school in the region. So we built the high school. And so that has gone on now for 10 or 12 years. And we've um, just built, I think, our 30-something preschool, you know, about 100 classrooms all together. And if you really look at it over time, we're um, really impacting a lot of kids. We say we fill the gaps in education. So we look for the action that we can afford as a small organization that takes the community from really from A to B, which really kind of brings the next rung of the ladder in, into reach. So uh, we have um, some really sweet projects, the libraries um, that are going into schools where we're already working. We have a big preschool initiative because that's um, something that the community has a hard time affording is quality housing for their preschool. And we know that that early intervention and um, better, better uh, nutrition at that point um, really brings better, better cognitive ability later in life. And um, so preschools and college scholars right now are kind of the two ends of our spectrum that's been pushing out from this original primary school and secondary school uh, initiatives. And sometimes the gaps are physical, sometimes they're um, financial. Uh, occasionally we find um, a very specific acute need. We're working with an, um, a school, a special needs school, as they say in Kenya, to help them um, build a vocational training center. So these kids who are aging out of these, these schools, the school support, and some of these kids have some very uh, significant challenges. They'll be able to go into their community with a specific skill. So those are the things that, uh, we just actually launched an, a local initiative, which is a lot of fun. Um, UIL is the statewide competition in public schools. Um, marching band and drama, and they have a filmmaking tract. So there are young filmmakers all over Texas who submit short films for uh, competition for judging. And we started an award called the uh, Nobility Social Impact Award. And so we've selected um, four films that won these prizes for equipment for their film departments. And um, they're, they're really lovely little films. Um, with border immigration issues, addressing refugee issues, addressing uh, a simple personal story of a young man being with a great talent and being, you know, kind of bullied, but how he came through it. So these are issues that young people here locally are looking at 
and have a, a vo and having a voice in addressing. And so that's uh, in in partnership with the Paramount, or the partnership with the Paramount brings thousand sixth graders into the theater and they watch our film called Building Hope, which is about building a school in Kenya. And then we do a live Skype connection with kids in Kenya. Very nice. And it is it is wild. Thousand sixth graders in the Paramount Theater um, talking to their counterparts, you know, eight hours time difference and you know what was a world away the day before now is is their you know friends. And to me that's a that's sort of a key component. It is one of the things I feel like we do well on our, on our international trips is um, we can represent a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. and the, the, it's not exactly, um, we don't exactly do charity work. We create partnerships right. and there's a lot of um, exchange in, in value. We happen to take the money to Kenya although the communities actually contribute something and the government contributes something. We always work in tandem with those um, other entities. But we come away with just as much. Right. And we bring it home. Yep. And uh, I think... Three films now is, is what... The three feature films. Okay. Um, a lot of short films. We're, we've moved to short film format because of the short attention and theater of, of most of us, you know, in the Facebook reality. Um, that are mostly conservation oriented. So we have one on our side about the monarch butterfly uh, migration and uh, one about whales and one about elephants. And so that's a little bit of an offshoot, but we um, feel like, again, that's a gap we can fill is an information gap. Because it's not just the, that information and that exposure is not just um, for American viewers or American students, it's also the Kenyan kids don't get to see those animals either. Right. You know, it's, and if they do, they're going the other way. <laughs> yeah. They're running. But, um, <laughs> so Kenya does a very good job on conservation. They have enormous conservation areas, um, where the animals are all protected, but those kids don't get to go there. You know, so I want to ask one thing where, and I don't know if it's a problem, but it stems in my mind as it could potentially be a problem. What about teachers? How, how is the, is there, how do you get your, how do you get your teachers? What we you work saying? with public schools. Uh -huh. And so in the, the government, States? oh, in the state, no, no, in Kenya. In Kenya. Uh -huh. And so the government provides all the teachers. Okay. So we're really facilities builders and, um, and a little, a little bit of, of resources, we do library books, and again, we fill the gaps. We go to the schools and say, "What is it that you need?" A, a high school might need review materials for their what they would be the SATs. There, um, these are rural kids. We work way out in the country, and they tend to fall behind their urban counterparts, even in public schools, and then very much so from the private schools, just like here. And um, so, public schools struggle to keep up on facilities, and and it's. It's where we have found the, the most impact and the most, you know, long-lasting permanent improvements. But the government does their part. They provide, they hire and provide the teachers, and um, you have to go get your degree in order to teach biology and geography. And it's one of the one of my favorite moments in um, the Paramount when the sixth graders come, is that we'll pick about ten kids to come up and ask questions and. Um, one of them will say, what's your favorite subject? And they'll say, oh, you know, 
arithmetic or history or, or geography or math. And, and you can see the kids in the theater, the American kids go, oh, just like me. Oh, they're just Connect. like me. Connect. And it's, it's a palpable moment. And that, those, those sixth graders will walk away with, it, with that forever. Right. Okay. Connection. Are you ever looking for volunteers from here in the States? We have people who travel with us once a year. Um, they tend to be donors going to see the projects that they've made possible. Oh, sure. Uh, we hire Kenyans on the other end to do all the work. It's not the but anyone's, you know, welcome, if, particularly if you're going to Kenya and would like to visit a school um, project of ours, we can set you up for visits. It's so much fun. It is not, you know, it's a long ways over there. It's an expensive plane ticket. And, uh, but it's a safe country and, and very welcoming and um, lots of English speakers because of its colonial history, but also because they choose that's a language of commerce. So it's easy to travel. And uh, lots of great intention. So I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What's the future of the Nobility Project? Mm -hmm. Another brick at a time? Always oh, a brick at a time. Um, we are building up more stateside programs like the UIL competition and, and our sixth grade screenings. Um, I'm hoping to spend some more time in schools here and connecting with, um, in high schools, connecting with their counterparts in Kenya. We also uh, are creating a, a new film a little bit longer, it'll be maybe 20 minutes, um, about migrations. So not just, I mean, animal migrations, including forced migrations by humans. So um, those are on the, on the burners. I wouldn't quite say back burner, closer than that, but... but Front burner. Maybe, <laughs> not quite front. Um, we have probably uh, four or five years of work sketched out. Mm -hmm. You know, we try to keep the work small enough that it, we, Turk and I have our hands on everything. Mm -hmm. You never know where your inspiration will come from and how you can use your professional skills for good. Thank you, Christy, for all the work you do to make this world a better place and for sharing your story. The Masters and Founders team includes me, Dan Dillard, producer Mariah Gossett, and audio engineer Jake Wallace. Thank you, Ryan Francis, for co-hosting this episode with me and to everyone at Founding Austin for your support. If you've not checked it out yet, make sure you remember our Facebook group. Link is in the show notes. If you like the show, share it this week with a friend or coworker. You can also leave us a review on iTunes to help other folks find the show. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.